Amen, amen. Let's thank the worship team for leading us this morning. Amen. You guys can uh, uh, please grab a copy of God's Word um, before we jump in. Uh, I, I just want you to know I love, um, I love to be able to see the fruit that's being born from our church when, uh, when God's people rally together and desire to be what God's called them to be as the church. And uh, last week I, I saw a sweet picture going around um, from Hope Project, and Hope Project is a local ministry that ministers to women coming out of sex trafficking, and uh, under Pastor Jeremy's leadership, and Lisa Howell, I know there was a, a whole drive where people gave goods to support that ministry, and uh, just so thankful uh, for the way that was received, and the thankfulness that came from that ministry, and then last week, I got these pictures from uh, the church that's being planted through our church, and a number of other churches in Dublin, Ireland, and if you've been around our church for a while, a few months ago, uh, we said, hey, we want to encourage them. Uh, they are still under cra some crazy COVID restrictions, couldn't meet, and so we just, we encouraged them with some letters, and so many of our families wrote these letters to them, and uh, Pastor Cyprian sent me these pictures, and he put them up on, in the hallway as the people were coming in to where they can now meet, and, uh, and they were just reading them, and he wrote me, and he said this, he said, Thank you guys so much. It was such a lovely and encouraging surprise. It was so encouraging to read all those cards. We are so grateful for you. And I just want you to know that um, whether it is um, generosity uh, to a local ministry in our community or uh, encouragement that's reached over an ocean to another place, that um, we are being what the church should be and I just want to thank you. That's, that's not a work that comes just from me or our leadership. It comes from everybody coming together under uh, what we've been reading about in Acts and saying, we want to be the church. We want to be the church. And to have an impact like that is a tremendous grace and blessing. And I hope your heart's encouraged like mine is this morning. And so um, we, we, we live out these things because we come under um, an understanding of who God is and he transforms our lives to be represented in a different way. That, that's the way it happens. That's what we've been going after as a church uh, together uh, for over six years now, and, um, and we do that by getting our head and our heart into God's Word and receiving it. And so today we have in front of us Acts chapter 14. Uh, let me just pray before we jump in. God, we uh, want um, to be faithful to the mission you've put in front of us. And uh, Father, these little glimpses that we've had this morning already um, are a picture of that. They're a representation of what I pray and I see consistently is happening throughout our church. And because of the faithful uh, commitment to our church, the faithful uh, giving to our church, the, just the faithfulness around the gospel mission, uh, we're seeing these things in so many different things that I could not, would not even have time this morning to represent. And so I just pray as we now approach your word again that, that, that uh, Acts chapter 14 would lead us and guide us, that the word would clearly um, uh, direct our path for your glory and through uh, the work of your spirit. God, we believe it can be so. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So um, one of the things that uh, is problematic uh, in our culture is, is that um, our culture is obsessed with new things. And I'm going to be honest, like many of you could probably, if you were being honest, could say sometimes we can get enamored with new things. It's the, um, 
the new products, the new restaurants, the new shows, the new books, the new friends, the list could go on. And I have to admit that more and more, I'm finding myself fascinated, even enamored um, and drawn to things that endure, things that endure. I posted a tribute to a couple uh, this past week that is in our church, E.B. and Babs, and they were in first service, and 65 years of marriage. I got to 20, and I thought I was accomplished, and they're like, yeah, you can clap for 65 years. You could also clap for how much I still need to learn after 20, okay? So, so you know, you get to 20, and you're like, wow, accomplishment, and then you're like, 65, I have no clue about faithfulness. And, and, and a few weeks ago, I officiated um, a funeral for a, a woman, a mom of a woman in our church, and I didn't even know the woman, but just the testimony of her faith was so crystal clear that she had endured to the end a love for Jesus. And, and, and then to know and to hear the stories that are playing out in and around our church of people who have endured a great suffering and struggle in a variety of different ways and to watch the testimony of endurance, just endurance. Some days feeling like I've just got enough strength to put one foot in front of the other kind of endurance. And I'm just drawn to it, I'm enamored by it. Whether it's enduring relationships or enduring faith or enduring through suffering, I'm enamored by endurance. And today in, in chapter 14 of Acts, we're gonna see a clear testimony of endurance in the mission of the gospel, endurance. Um, and so what we're going to see here is this. Um, this is the big idea. Mission faithfulness, we're going to see it all throughout this chapter. Mission faithfulness requires a readiness to endure. A readiness to endure. So we've we got to be more than just fascinated by the individual stories. We've got to be a people that as disciples of Jesus Christ are like, we want to be ready to endure so that we can be faithful to the mission. And so uh, that's what's in front of us. Let's walk through this passage and let's uh, see it together. Starting in verse 1, now at Iconium, they, Paul, Barnabas, whatever other entourage they had with them at this point, they entered together into the Jewish synagogue and spoke in such a way that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. So this is the pattern we've seen all throughout Acts. As they've gone out on their missionary journeys into the area, into the Jewish synagogue, drawing people, seeing them come to faith in Christ. And then, of course, verse 2, we also have seen this pattern. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. And so what did they do in response to that? So they remained for a long time, speaking boldly for the Lord, who bore witness to the word of his grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. So God's like, try to resist me. I got this. And the people and the disciples and leaders are so faithful here. Verse 4, but the people of the city were divided, some sided with the Jews and some with the apostles. When an attempt was made by both Gentiles and Jews with their rulers to mistreat them and to stone them, they learned of it and they fled to Lystra and Derbe, cities of Lyconia, and to the surrounding country. And there they continued to preach the gospel. Now at Lystra there was a man sitting who could not use his feet. Now we've seen this before in Acts. God's about to do a miracle to showcase that he is the real God and the people should listen. He was crippled from birth and had never walked. He listened to Paul speaking. And Paul, looking intently at him, okay, like a few sermons ago, like 
we were talking about Paul looking intently at someone. If Paul looks intently at you, I'm getting nervous. I'm just going to be honest here. I just got a little commentary here. Like previous, uh, a few chapters ago, Paul looked intently at somebody. He called him a son of the devil, and then he blinded them. And so when Paul looks intently at you, your probably heart rate's going to pick up a bit. But fortunately here, looked intently at him, and seeing that he had faith to be made well, said in a loud voice, stand upright on your feet, and a sign of a, a miracle from God. And he sprang up and began walking, completely healed. And when the crowd saw what Paul had done, they lifted up their voices, saying in Lyconian, the gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. Gods, likeness of men? Uh, this isn't going a good direction. Look at verse 12. Barnabas they called Zeus, and Paul Hermes, because he was the chief speaker. I guess Barnabas was ripped, and Paul just spoke. I guess that's what happened there. Poor Paul. Verse 13, and the priest of Zeus, whose temple was at the entrance of the city, brought oxen and garlands to the gates and wanted to offer sacrifice with the crowds. So they're about to sacrifice to them as though they are gods. It would have been a blasphemy to allow this to happen. Look at the response. But when the apostles, Barnabas and Paul, heard of it, they tore their garments in grief. That's not happening. And they rushed out into the crowd, crying out, men, why are you doing these things? And watch, even in this moment of urgency, Watch the move to connect the gospel right to their context. We also are men of like nature with you. We're not gods. And we bring you good news that you should turn from these vain things, vain things, like believing that we're God or believing that there's other gods then, to a living God, the God they know, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. Now, I want you to know that in that line right there, what he's literally doing, not just Zeus and Hermes, but so many other of the pantheon of gods, they were literally going, no, 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 one God, the living God, all your little individual gods over earth and water and all of this, no, one God who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them, the, the supreme God whose son was Jesus Christ. And then in past generations, he allowed all the nations to walk in their own ways. Yet he did not leave himself without witness, for he did good by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. Just general revelation of God's goodness. Even with these words, they scarcely restrained the people from offering sacrifice to them. Picture Paul like pulling back the oxen away from the, the guy who's walking it up to sacrifice it to them. But then verse 19, of course, it takes another turn, but Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, so now they're following them to, to persecute them. And having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. So at this point, I just want to be clear, if, if someone's been stoned to the point where uh, they, they, they're literally leaving them for dead, there likely would have been unbelievable litany of injuries. Broken, bloody mess Paul would have been. But look what it says in verse 20. But when the disciples gathered about him, he rose up. You just write in your Bible, miracle there. That is a miracle. He rose up and entered the city. Didn't the people that stoned you come from that city? Paul? Paul? You sure that's your best decision? He entered into the city. And on the next day, he went on with Barnabas to Derbe. When they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra. They returned. So he gets stoned. He 
is clearly healed. He goes back into the city. Then he leaves and goes to another city. On the way back, he's like, going back. I got some people there that I'm responsible. I've got a mission, and I'm on it, and I'm not moving from it. You can throw stones at me. You can do whatever you want. I'm not moving off the mission. Return to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. Then they passed through Pisidia and came to Pamphylia, and when they had spoken the word in Perga, they went down to Italia. From there they sailed to Antioch, where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work that they had fulfilled, completed this journey, this journey. And when they had arrived and gathered the church together, they declared all that God had done with them. What a celebration that would have been. And how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles, and they remained no little time with the disciples, probably because they were exhausted. I mean, look, look at this on the map. This is, this is all the places they went just in this chapter. Okay? Like, it gives you an idea of how much time summed up in some of these chapters in Scripture. And, and so you've got them. There's Iconium and Derbe. There's Lystra, where, where Paul nearly died, and Antioch. And then all the way back to Antioch over there, the different Antioch, and um, reported to the disciples what had happened. And they stayed, it says, no little time with the disciples certainly catching their breath. But they'd fulfilled their mission, right? They were faithful. And as I was looking at this passage and I was thinking about this chapter, there's so many familiar themes that we've already talked about in the book of Acts. So much of the gospel going out, so much of a, of a clarity around the gospel and, 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 and seeing the persecution that was coming. And, but there's something that is really interesting in this chapter that you don't see previous in Acts. See, previous in Acts, you get these times when Peter or Paul, it says they spend some time with the disciples in, in, in their churches, and, and maybe they, it says they, they generally taught them. But in verses 21 through 23, there are three distinct things that they're doing in the churches when they go back to these churches. And it caused me to ask some questions that are answered in this passage. Like, what is the focus of their guidance to the churches before they leave? What do they emphasize to help the people remain faithful? What do they encourage them with so they're faithful to endure knowing that there's so much persecution and tribulation? What's going to promote endurance? And I just, right here from the text, it's, it's literally the, the points of this message are right from the text. Three core priorities of an enduring church. Because what we get a glimpse into is the content of what they're focusing on in their time with the church. And that's such a great, clear application for us today, 2021, that we would endure whatever God would put in front of us as the church of Jesus Christ. Because listen, church, the mission hasn't changed. The mission hasn't changed. It's to preach the gospel and to unite in the way God's called the church to unite. And so let's just look at this together. Three core priorities of an enduring church. Priority number one, right there, strengthen souls. Strengthen souls. Now, first, what's a soul? What is, what is it referring to here? A soul is referring to your, your inner being. The word in Greek is psyche, which is an easy word for us to understand in English because it's the it's the core word out of which we get the word psychology. It is, it is an understanding of, 
the faculties of your inner being. It is your mind, it is your heart, it is your conscience. All of it um, sits underneath the larger umbrella of the soul. And so that's the soul. Now, the soul is being strengthened. That's one of the um, uh, core priorities. Now, what is strengthening referred to here? Strengthening, as I studied this word, it's got a bit of a nuance because we think of strength, and there's really two kind of forms of strength. There's a kind of strength that leads to power, and there's a kind of strengthening that leads to endurance. We get this, right? Like, we understand it in uh, our physical bodies. Um, We have muscles, and there are two very different kinds of strength that you can increase if you work out, if you work out being the key part there. You You can increase your force, or you can increase your endurance, okay? So if you strengthen your force, if that's what you go after in strengthening your muscles, you can get a lot of, lot of power and it creates big muscles, kind of like this guy. Clearly that guy's been doing some uh, strength training with power to have biceps like that. And then you get also, you can strengthen your muscles with endurance. And when you strengthen your muscles towards endurance, it creates lean muscle. And this gives you the ability to endure kind of like those two guys. I have no clue where their destination is, but it is a long way from wherever they're at. And it takes endurance to do that. So there's a strengthening that can lead to power or can lead to endurance. And I'm sure many of you could probably figure out what the focus of most of my workouts is, okay? Uh, Clearly on the endurance side, not the power side. In this passage, um, when, when, when it's talking about strengthening souls, It is referring to increasing endurance, not power. Endurance, not power. See, too often, I I, I fear that we go after the power move, not the endurance move. Think about this with me. Like, if you waste your energy on being right in an argument, in a relationship, you might win the battle because you powered up, but you're going to lose the war. If you, if, you, if you try to power up into a moment in an argument, you're going to need some endurance for the conflict because it's getting extended. But if you think about enduring relationships, it changes. I tell people all the time, don't prepare for a wedding, prepare for a marriage. A wedding's a power move. It's like the big event and the party, and we do all this preparation for this. Prepare for a marriage. Way more valuable. Enduring relationship. The same, the same idea works for parents. I see parents all the time just trying so hard to, to, to meet these expectations of these big moments and they give themselves, they put themselves under so much pressure in these key moments and maybe it's party or there's sports events or all of this stuff and what kids are longing for is just an enduring love. Power versus endurance. Power versus endurance. Strength and endurance Strength and endurance. We, we, we love in our social media world to put up these before and after pictures, right? Like, look how much transformation has happened. But a picture never gives you a true understanding of the commitment and endurance that's required to see beautiful, powerful realities of transformation. Endurance comes from a faithful process dependent on an unrelenting commitment to endure. You cannot cheat the process. You never will cheat the process. Strengthen your souls for endurance. 
for endurance. And the gospel, if you're like, how, how, how do I strengthen my soul? Is there, like, give me a workout. Give me a workout. Like, what do I do to strengthen my soul? You strengthen your soul by coming to the God who clearly modeled for us how to endure with faithfulness. And what I love about the gospel is, is that it shows us exactly how to strengthen our souls. Right here in the gospel is a picture of it. Soul strength comes from what I, I, I'm referring to as the triad of soul strength. When you go after Jesus and relationship with him, here's what he provides for you. He shows you the perfect picture of enduring love. Enduring love that his He's always drawing near to you and he's always by his grace wanting to move towards relationship with you. Then in grace is enduring forgiveness. So you have enduring love uh, and enduring affection. You have enduring grace and enduring forgiveness. So now as I walk through all of the brokenness of my own flesh and sin, that there's enduring grace that restores my heart and life. And then a discipline which in Christ leads to enduring transformation. And so this is how our souls are strengthened right in the midst of the gospel. And so if we want our souls strengthened, what we're constantly encouraging people to do is go to Jesus. You don't strengthen your soul in your own power. You know, like, oh, I, I just met this person. They really strengthened my soul. No, Jesus is the one who strengthened your soul. He's the one who, he's the only one that can bring stability. And the second that you believe that your soul's been strengthened by any other human, you are now not strengthening your soul, you've actually weakened it. Because you've laid it upon an unstable foundation. And if you start to put your hope or your dependence on that person in any way, that will give way in small ways and sometimes in large ways. And so we put our foundation, our life, our inner being on the foundation of Jesus who with enduring affection, enduring forgiveness, and enduring transformation will always be there. And it will give us an ability uh, to endure. Strengthen souls. Mission faithfulness requires a readiness to endure. That's the first one. Then the second one is this. Priority number two, encourage faith. Encourage faith. And I don't know where you've been reading your Bible recently, but um, here in Acts and in so many other places in Scripture, what I'm thankful for is that um, the Bible's not a, like, glossed over, naive picture of reality. It says, encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying, saying, say it, communicate it, that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. And what I love about this in scripture is where it's encouraging faith, but it's saying, listen, listen, listen. Before you get to that kingdom of God that you're for sure excited about when you understand the gospel, um, the way you get there is through many tribulations. Through them, not around them, not dodging them, not avoiding them or imagining they're not there but going through them. And it, what, what, what I love about Scripture, I've said this again and again, it's one of my favorite parts, it sets right expectations. It sets right expectations. Expect tribulation and persecution. This is exactly why we need endurance. Because mission faithfulness is not gonna be a walk in the park. 
Some of us, because of the way we felt tribulation and persecution, haven't even fully entered into mission faithfulness. And, and so correct expectations prepare you for endurance. That's just a rule across every aspect of your life. If you go into a job and you don't have a right expectation of how hard that job is going to be, endurance is going to be difficult. I'm nauseated by poor teaching on discipleship that fails to tell young Christians that coming to Christ does not exempt you from trials. Why is this happening to me? I thought God was leading my life now. Acts 14, Paul didn't avoid them. He avoided him in one spot. He's like, get out of here. I think they're going to stone me. Got to the next place, got stoned. I don't see him wringing his hands. Oh, God, I, where are you? And he just keeps mission faithfulness locked on it. I'm nauseated by poor premarital that doesn't help young couples understand that marriage will challenge them in glorious ways if they understand what God's doing. But if they don't, it will lead to disillusionment and a dissolution of marriage. I'm nauseated by poor ministry training that causes young leaders, many who I've known, to prepare for ministry, but not for the spiritual war that's so often found in ministry leadership. And so in light of these, these tribulations and persecutions that are so clearly communicated, how? How do we continue in the faith? How, how is that faith encouraged in our lives? What's the anchor that's going to hold when, when tribulations and persecutions come? Well, I want to connect Acts 14 to another passage. It's really important for us to see here. In some of your Bibles, you might actually see the reference here. But it's key because it gives us a context of what Paul says to Timothy in 2 Timothy 3 about this very situation. Look what he says. It's up on the screen. 2 Timothy 3. You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfast, my persecutions and sufferings. So, so he's saying, Timothy, you're following the mission, the faithfulness of the mission. And look what he says. That happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra. When he's talking to Timothy here, he's talking about Acts 14. He's referring right back to this passage. And notice how it aligns together. He says, which persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus, that's all of us, all of us now, we're all in this. We're all right in this, and we're seeing how Acts 14 is supposed to inform us about endurance. Look what it says. All who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. There it is, church, again. While evil people and imposters, some people are just evil, some people are acting like they're something when they're not, will go from on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, and here it is, here's the encouragement, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed. Knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, he's talking specifically about Timothy here, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. So how is your faith encouraged? By walking in it, consistently, faithful to the word of God. That's the only anchor that we have in persecutions and tribulations. I'm telling you, just even this last year, rocked to the core by things that pl played out around me. 
and in people's lives. And the only place I know to go is not to the advice of men, although I love to get counsel, but effectively, I have to come back here and let it root my life in. It's the only unchanging reality around my life. And we know, we say it again and again, the word of God leads us to the person of God, and the person of God is stable, always. And and so if we want to walk in faith, what it means is faith walks in the direction the word of God is pointing. Faith walks in the direction that the word of God is pointing. And and so if if you want to be encouraged in your faith, if you want to continue in the faith, Man, stay on what God's word is teaching you and how it's directing you. And to even make this more clear to us this morning, do you you know what comes next in in 2 Timothy when when Paul's talking to Timothy? It's one of the passages we love to talk about when we talk about how we believe that God's word is true, but understand now the context is a reference back to Acts 14 to give it the weight that he wanted to give it to Timothy. Look with me, 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. And here it is, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. All of this, all that Paul is sharing in this, in, in, in this explanation of God's word, if you understand the context of 2 Timothy, looking back to Acts 14, the passage we're in this morning, he's like, all of it, the word of God is for your endurance. And, and so, When we talk about encouraging faith, it has to lead to a walking in faith because faith is walking in the direction that the word of God is pointing. And that word will give us everything so that we can be complete through the tribulations and so that we can be equipped for every good work while we're walking through the suffering, the tribulations, the temptation, the imposters, the evil people. We root ourselves here in God's word. And so the question for you is, is the Bible pointing you in a direction and are you following? Because that is a responsibility that we have as a church because one of the core priorities of enduring church first is strengthening souls and second is encouraging faith. And faith walks in the direction that the word of God is pointing. Mission faithfulness requires a readiness to endure. And the third priority is this, appoint leaders. Appoint leaders. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. And so what we're, what we're seeing here is we're seeing as, as Paul and Barnabas go from town to town, they're, they're starting to give us a model for what the church is supposed to look like. That the church is individual churches with individual elders. It's, 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 it's individual churches under the leadership of elders. And what I love about this is, is that, and this is really encouraging and informative for me uh, this week as I was thinking about my role in leading in the church and then the opportunity to come and preach this message is, is that leadership in the church should serve endurance. So I want, when I, when I, when I, when I see somebody that I haven't seen in a while and I, I see them walk in the, door, in, the, in the door and I have a chance to greet you and there's a part of that that I just go, man, I want you to endure. I want you to endure. And I want our church to serve that and I, I want to serve you in it and our leaders, I know at every level in our church, are wanting to, 
come alongside you for the purpose of endurance. And elders exist to support and promote endurance through the strengthening of souls and encouraging faith. That's, that's, a, that's what leadership means in the context of the church. And so this is a model for church planting. It's a model for today, uh, individual churches under the leadership of elders. We were planted out of Harvest Spring Lake, and then once we uh, brought and we, we saw elders within the context of our, of, our, of our congregation, we were an independent church. And right now, I sit alongside and around Pastor Ciprian in Dublin, uh, along with uh, a Pastor Doug in Traverse City, has sort of elders and supporting around him until they raise men up, and then we're rolling that off. I'm getting off that as quick as possible, and that's what I'm praying for. It's the same model. And this leadership model is a core conviction at our church. If you're newer to our church, I want to let you know that. Christ Church is an autonomous church led by a appointed elders. And so elders, it, it, biblically, they have to be qualified. Uh, uh, just like according to First and Second Timothy, Titus, not like anybody who raised, it's not first person to raise your hand, okay? That's not appointment. Um, and there's some qualifications of it. And then there's a, a group of elders. It doesn't mean that they're the only men in the church that are elder qualified. It just means these are the ones that have been appointed in a season for a variety of reasons. And the men that are around me, I'm so thankful for. Charlie Barnes and Justin Ware and Rex Visser and most recently Doug Bantz. And I am so thankful for uh, what I see and value more and more is a sweet balance of personalities and perspectives and giftedness. And, and strong in our differences, but even stronger in our, in our unity together. Thankful for that. Please pray for our elder team. Please, please pray. It, is, it has been um, such an encouraging time, but such a challenging time. Pray for us as we uh, carry the responsibility that we believe God's word teaches us to provide direction, protect doctrine, and promote discipleship in our church. And these men surround me, and I am accountable to them in every way. It is a mutual accountability that exists in that team. And we're just striving to provide oversight so that we can protect endurance and promote endurance. And so just so you understand, just in the context of this as we're talking about this, we have ministry staff on, in our church, numerous people that many of you know that are responsible for carrying out the ministry week in and week out. We have deacons that are aiming to serve in a variety of practical areas around our church, multiple layers of other leaders, just a phenomenal team that I am so thankful to be surrounded by. And all of it happening, listen, all of it happening under the ultimate authority of Jesus Christ. And the ultimate purpose in all of this is endurance. Strengthen souls, encourage faith, appoint leaders. And, and, and as I was thinking about this and the role that they played, listen, they came through and they appointed these elders and then they left. And now this church body sitting under the leadership of these leaders and, and there's multiple layers of this that played out to protect and promote endurance. And I was thinking about this subject and I was reminded that the biblical principle that makes this all work is submission. And in America... And in the heart of any fallen person, uh, we really don't like that word submission. Can we just all agree? Like, not our favorite word, submission. And um, our culture hates this word, but it's a requirement in the body of Christ if you want to endure individually and together in any relationship. First, first everyone is, is, is encouraged to come under the authority of Jesus Christ. He's our king. 
Like every knee bows before Jesus. But then everyone, uh, Ephesians 5.21, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. What I love about this passage is it just teaches us that there's supposed to be a spirit of mutual submission in the church. I, I want you to remember that because that's what we're going after in our church, a spirit of mutual submission. Then submissions required from all believers in a local church, Hebrews 13, 17, obey your leaders and submit to them. Why? Why? So they can have a power position over you? No, for they are keeping watch over your souls, there's the word again, as those who will have to give an account. It's a heavy thing, not a sweet, I've got so much power thing. To misunderstand that has caused tragic consequences in the church. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. And I'm so thankful for the many, 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 large, large, large majority of people in our church who have made it nothing but a joy. Submission is seen everywhere in the kingdom of God. In families, wives submit to your husbands, Ephesians 5. Children obey your parents, Ephesians 6. It applies to every layer of leadership in our church. People with elders, elders with other elders, small group members with small group leaders, individual brothers and sisters with Christ, in Christ with other brothers and sisters in Christ. I, there's supposed to be this spirit of mutual submission throughout the church. If, if, you, if, if anyone who's been around my life knows that um, wherever I find myself weak because of giftedness or personality or, or experience, I'm going to strive to bring myself under that person and learn from them. doesn't matter who it is. It's a spirit of mutual submission. If, if, I can, if I can learn something from someone, if there's a giftedness, then I'm going to put myself, you lead that. You're better qualified at that than me. That's all throughout our church. The spirit of mutual submission. And, and, and leaders were appointed to, to see that happen so that it would promote endurance in the church. We, we, we want to fulfill our roles. We want to submit where necessary and learn to submit to one another. Learn to harness the strength that God's given us in the church, knowing that all of us are ultimately submitted to Jesus. I want us to chase after that as a church. Submission will be healthy if our primary goal is mission, faithfulness, though. If you try to pursue any other thing, if you try to pursue uh, power, if you try to pursue your own selfishness, if you're uh, striving for a role or some level of attention or appreciation, if you come to church looking for, just for friends, I just want friends, Mission faithfulness is the thing that God's spirit rushes to. And our mission is to glorify God through the fulfillment of the Great Commission, to make disciples of Jesus Christ who love God and love others. Mission faithfulness requires a readiness to endure from every disciple. And so any elder, any leader at any level in our church, understand that when you understand this oriented within Acts 14, our purpose in any influence we have with others in leadership is for their endurance and for them to endure to mission faithfulness. That's the purpose. Promote endurance in relationship with God and one another for the purpose of making Christ famous. Appoint leaders. Strengthen souls. Encourage faith. Appoint leaders. These are three priorities of enduring church. And, and so I want so badly for us to just acknowledge where we're at this morning. How are you doing in enduring? How are you doing in enduring? 
Some of you, if you were honest, maybe because of circumstances or circumstances in, within your control or circumstances outside of your control, if we were to sit down and talk, you might be like, um, I'm laboring. I'm laboring. You know, these three things, strengthening souls, um, encouraging faith and appointing leaders and, and all the ways in those work out like we've talked about, they're really kind of like, um, you know, Gatorade. We drink Gatorade for endurance. Most of us probably drink it because of the flavor. But you know what? It's supposed to be there to give us endurance. And, you know, Gatorade can have different flavors, right? And you can have three different flavors, but they uh, ultimately provide the same thing. And I believe this passage with the three core priorities are different flavors fundamentally of the same thing. And I think God wants us to drink deeply of them. And so if you're laboring or just wanting to continue to endure, you need to ask the question, God, God, what do, what do you have in front of me that I need? Some of you are like, I don't feel stable. I feel unsteady. And so your prayer to God needs to be, God, would you, uh, would you strengthen my soul? I'm finding myself depending on things that are, it feels like shaky, unstable ground. And God can meet you in that through the power of the Spirit to remind you of the gospel truths that can stabilize your life so that you can endure. Some of you are just, you don't have clarity in regards to how God wants your faith to walk out. And so maybe it's, God, is there, is there a word or is there something, as I open your word this week, would you lead me to a direction that your, that your word is pointing so that my faith can be encouraged by seeing the fruit of faith, of walking in the direction that the word of God is pointing? Or maybe it's, I need to come under the leadership that you've appointed in and around the church in a variety of levels, and I need to get some counsel for my life, or I need to get uh, some encouragement or strength for my soul. I don't know how to get there. I seem to be going the same uh, a cycle again and again and again. And so I just want to give us some time right now just to pray. And so we just, we just close our eyes where we're at and just bow our heads. And, and, and I, I want us just to even just open your hands to the Lord in a, a symbol of faith and just begin to ask the Lord to uh, give you a sense of, God, I want you to provide endurance for me. I'm asking asking God for endurance in the mission. That's our move we want to make right now. So let's just do that now as we seek God for just a few moments. Let's do it. Lead us, God. Speak to us, God, we thank you for We thank you for your presence in this moment. 
And there's some people here this morning that need endurance. Some here this morning that don't feel like they can take another step forward, just laboring. God, would you remind them that you are the God who is able to heal the, the man lame from birth so that he could spring up and walk. Pray, God, that that person laboring this morning in our church would know that you were there with them to walk alongside them, to give them the endurance that they need. God, you are the one who healed Paul and gave him such a fortitude in his inner being and his soul, such a commitment to the faith, such a readiness to fulfill his mission. And he got right back up and walked back into that town where the people had tried to end his life. And God, if you can fill Paul with that level of endurance, and you can certainly handle whatever we face. So Spirit of God, meet us now. Minister to us deeply. Help us to rally around the community that we have together. Help us to see in the triune God, both in Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, a, a beautiful trinity that wants to come alongside us and through a variety of ways give us endurance. Help us to drink deeply, God, of the things we've talked about today so that we might be faithful to all you've called us to. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Meet us. We need you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.